0: Yeah, I'm more and more convicted that uh, we don't pray enough boldly um, we had a prayer time for uh, a couple in our church who uh, have are expecting a baby and that baby it looks like may have some some difficulties and so we we had them come in and the elders prayed and uh, their friends came and prayed and um, we are praying for healing you know we often say, uh, If it's thy will, that's kind of our little out. You know, it's, hey, Lord, we we ask for healing. Oh, if it's your will. That way, if it doesn't happen, then we're off. Um, You know, what's interesting is that I read this week that nowhere in the New Testament do the disciples, the apostles, or Jesus ever pray that way. If it be thy will. They just pray, and they boldly ask and believe. And so I I think we've just got to challenge ourselves to step out and just begin to ask God what we want to see happen. Whether it's a marriage, whether it's somebody who needs healing, boldly pray and ask. And not just, oh, by the way, if it's your will, ask and believe. And so do that this week as you think about Jason's dad. Well, we're going to wrap up this series. I know you've been wondering, when, when are we going to wrap this series up? You've been praying for Christmas to come, because you knew that would wrap it up. Um, we are in week 12, and this is the last week in our series, Get in the Game. And over the last 11 weeks, we've, we've talked about a lot of things. Uh, the main thing we've been trying to talk about is, you and I have been called. And we have been called by God, Ephesians 2.10, We have been equipped by God, and we have a purpose given to us by God, and we are to be about His good works, which He laid out from before the foundation of the world. Uh, We're called, we're equipped. Every guy in this room who has a relationship with Jesus Christ is in that category. And so we need to get in the game. We need to be about those things that God has called us to do. We need to be making a significant contribution to the kingdom. Now, when I say significant, one of the things that's dangerous about that word is that we automatically think big. And we think, okay, then I've got to go to the mission field. And I've I've got to start a company and take all the proceeds and give it to missions. And I've got to go do incredibly huge things. Significant simply means that it's going to leave an impact. You know, one of the things for us as men is that one of the areas we could be the most significant is in our own home. Loving our wives. Raising our children in a godly atmosphere. You know, we, we want to go out and conquer the world. But oftentimes we leave in our wake a body of individuals that we've just abandoned. While we're out conquering the world. So being significant really means leaving an impact wherever you are. Um, Remember, we looked at the fact that God has called you to be where you are right now in whatever circumstances you find yourself. And it's in that circumstance that you need to make an impact and to see God work and to see God use you. We looked at the fact that we've got to reorganize our priorities. We've got to create some margin in our lives. We've got to create some space where we can actually do the things God's called us to do. We've got to start listening to him as he calls us and tells us, here's the good works I have for you. Here's what I would like you to do. We looked at the fact that what were we born for? Why are you here? Why do you exist? Why do you live at this moment in time on this planet, in this country, in this city? Why are you in this Bible study? Why were you born? And then what's the legacy you want to leave? That's what we looked at last week. How do you want to be remembered? What do you want to have left as your legacy in the days when you're gone? And that begins now. Not later. It begins now. Well, this morning, as we, as we wrap this series up, I want to ask you a, a question. What do you see when you look at the world? When you look at the world around you, let's say you got up this morning or you get up tomorrow morning or you later on this morning you get on the internet and you look up CNN or whatever news source you have. You look at the newspaper and you see all the stuff that's going on around the world. What do you see? Do you get depressed? Do you get defeated? Do you get demoralized that, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket and I can't do anything about it? Uh, Do you get angry? Do you get frustrated? What do you you see when you look at the world? You know, I think a lot of us probably despair more than we see hope. And it's really hard to see hope when you watch the evening news. Uh, My daughter just wrote a paper on uh, the effect of media on our society. And... uh, She and I have had some great talks about the the impact of the media. Everything from music to the news to movies. We are bombarded with negative messages. And it's really hard to have hope in the midst of that. But what do you see when you look at the world? And then what do you see when you look at yourself? When you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, what do you see? Again, do you do you see hope? Do you see a difference maker? Do you look at yourself and think, now that guy can do something. That guy can make a difference. You look at the world, and you I think all of us see there's need in the world. If you spend any time in this church, you're going to see that there are needs within this body, this local body. But do you see yourself as a difference maker in the world, in the church, in your home, wherever you work, what do you see when you look at yourself? That's how I want to wrap this up this morning. Is It's really an issue of perception. Because if you look at the world and all you see is despair and you don't see hope, you've got a wrong perception. If you look at yourself and you see, you know, I've got some abilities, I've got some gifts, but I'm not really a difference maker, at least not in a spiritual sense. I make a difference at work. But I don't make a difference any other way. You've got a wrong perception. And we're going to take a look at somebody this morning. We're going to look at Nehemiah. And spend a little bit of time with him. And look at this idea of changing your perception. But to start out, I want, I want you to watch this really short little video to set up this talk about Nehemiah. And this is from a series. Uh, this is only a portion of it, but it's a series on Nehemiah. And what's really interesting is the guy who put this together... He used the story of the um, hurricane that hit New Orleans. And it's it's an ongoing story. We're only going to see the last part of it. But he he shows this gentleman who lives in a really nice home. He's from New Orleans. It's his hometown. He now lives in another place. He drives a nice car. He lives in a beautiful home. He's got everything that the world can offer. One day he comes home from work and he's watching the news and here, here comes all the images that we all saw of devastation and flooding and people without water and without utilities and their homes are destroyed. And this man is called to action. And what he's doing is he's parallel, uh, paralleling the story of this man with the story of Nehemiah. And this is, this is the closing to it. I just want you to watch this before we begin our study.
1: What do you see when you look at the world? What do you see when you look at yourself? An insignificant speck on the edge of eternity or a unique divinely created difference maker? When Nehemiah looked at the world, he saw destruction and violence and sin. But he also saw what should be. The walls of Jerusalem should be standing strong, and God's people should be living in the city. When he looked at himself, he saw somebody who could do something about it. Because when he looked at God, he saw God, provider, protector. Accomplisher of his purposes on the earth. When you look at the world, do you despair? Or do you see a world that has never needed Christ more than it does right now and therefore has never needed you more? Do you see this as an opportunity to make a difference? Like Nehemiah, you are uniquely created to do something that no one else can do. But all of the ability in the world and the talent means nothing if you're sitting on the sideline. God will rebuild the wall. And we have one or two options. We can either watch or we can join.
0: You know, he makes a a statement in this little video that just really struck me. He says, when you look at the world, do you despair? Or do you see a world that has never needed Christ more than it does right now? When you look at the world, do you despair or do you see the need for Christ more than ever before? And therefore has never needed you more. Do you see this as an opportunity to make a difference? Like Nehemiah, you are uniquely created to do something that no one else can do. But all of the ability in the world and the talent means nothing if you're sitting on the sidelines. See, that's been the message for the last 11 weeks is get, get off the sidelines. Quit being a spectator and get in the game with whatever you have to offer, with whatever God has equipped you with, wherever you are right now. Don't wait until sometime down the road when you've got your seminary degree, when you finish finished studying the Bible, when you've learned how to pray, when you've grown in your faith, when you trust God more. I'm telling you, if you wait for that, you'll never get in the game. Get in the game. Get off the sideline. But do you really believe what this guy just said? Do you really believe that you are unique and you have something to offer that no one else can do? I, I believe that for every man in this room. I believe that for me. But we've got to get in the game. We've got to get in the game. So, do you despair when you look at the world? Do you see a world in desperate need of Christ? You know, it's, if you're like me, it's real easy to look at the news, see what's going on, and not see a world in need of Christ. And maybe this is just the way I'm worried. I see a world that really just needs to be blasted. This is why I, I'm not God. Um, I see a world that, man, if I were God, I am so Jonah-like. You know, just wipe them off the face of the earth. But what if God had done that? Well, He did do that. He just spared a few. He spared me. He spared you. I didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. But do you look out and do you see a world that desperately needs Christ or do you just see people who are clueless and they make you angry and they make you mad? The world needs Christ, and do you think the world needs you? Do you really think you can make a difference? Do you want to make a difference? Or are you just too busy taking care of your own problems, your own concerns? Again, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I look across this room, and I see so much incredible potential for what God can do, wants to do, and will do if we'll only allow Him. Do you view the events around you as an opportunity to make a difference? When you see a need, do you just, does something inside you go, man, I gotta fix that? I can't take it. I just gotta get involved. When you see somebody hurting, do you just feel like, man, I gotta, I don't have much, but I'll give them whatever I have. Or is your attitude, somebody will take care of that? Somebody will do it. See, we are called by God to be difference makers. We are not called to be sponges just to sit here and absorb and absorb and absorb and bless me some more, God, and give me more and give me more. We are are meant to be funnels and we are meant to share and give as we are given to. Bless as we are blessed. Love as we are loved. You're, You're called to be a difference maker. And I truly believe you are uniquely created to do something no one else can do. And you're probably sitting there going, I don't know what that is. That's all right. God does. And you need to begin to... Get in the game and begin to use your abilities, use your gifts, use your talents, explore. As you know. Ben said, we've got so many ways you can get involved, not just here at this church, but in ministries all over the city, to begin to pour into people's lives, other people's lives, and watch God work. And the question is, do we really believe all of that? Do you really believe that I'm a difference maker? I can be in the game. I can make a difference. I can impact the world for Christ. I can impact my kids. I can impact my family. I can impact my work and change the world. I think you can. I think I can. But it's only going to be in the power of Christ as he lives through me. So we're going to look at Nehemiah. You're familiar with the story. You know, We looked at Haggai a couple of weeks ago. And Haggai kind of came after Nehemiah. Haggai's job was to go back and rebuild the temple. Uh, Nehemiah's job was to go back and rebuild the wall. And so we're going to take a little bit of a look at the background of Nehemiah. If you don't know where the book of Nehemiah is, you're going to need to find it. Look at Psalms and go back a couple of books. Everybody knows where Psalms is. It's near the middle of your Bible. Go backwards a couple of books and you'll find Nehemiah. It's right before Esther. Here's the background real quickly. Nehemiah is in exile. The Jewish people are in exile. Remember they got in trouble because they didn't obey God, didn't do what they were supposed to do. God got fed up and finally said, okay, you're gone, you're history. They end up in exile. During that time, they've been there 70 years. Some are allowed to go back. And they go back. But we know what happened. They, they went back for a reason, right? They were supposed to rebuild the temple, rebuild the walls. They had not done it. Okay, similar story as, as we saw in Haggai. are returned home. others stayed in Persia. Nehemiah is one that did. And like Daniel and Esther, they find themselves uniquely placed in a position of prominence. Nehemiah is a Jew. He's a Hebrew. And he finds himself in a position of prominence. And he is the cupbearer to the king Xerxes. Um, many people believe that he was actually he tested his drinks before he drank it to make sure they weren't poisoned. That'd be a fun job, wouldn't it? Every day's an adventure. you know see if I last through the day. But he, he had a great job. He was probably well compensated and as long as he wasn't poisoned, he had a great life. But that was his job. He gets a, a word, a message, that things are not going well back in Jerusalem. Now, keep in mind, he's living a pretty good life. He's not in poverty. He's living in the king's palace. He's eating the king's food, drinking the king's wine. And he hears that something's not going well at home. The walls are still down around Jerusalem. Now, he's got two options. That's too bad. I've got a pretty good life. Hope somebody fix that someday. Or, I need to do something about that. He takes the ladder and decides he's going to do something about it. And he gets permission from the king, which was a risky thing to ask for, to go back and fix up the walls, rebuild the walls. And he becomes God's man for that job. You know, nothing in the in the book of Nehemiah tells us he had any skill whatsoever to do this. This guy was a cupbearer. But suddenly he's he's now in charge of the entire rebuilding project back in Jerusalem. He's not a contractor, he's not a wall builder, but he's available and he's willing, and he goes back. And his job is to rebuild the walls. Here's what I want you to do around your tables. I want you to look at Nehemiah chapter 2. Read verses 11 through 18 together. That means out loud. Whatever version you want to read doesn't really matter. And here's what I want you to discuss. What did Nehemiah find when he got there? What what was going on when he starts... He takes a tour and he goes looking around the walls and what does he find? What was his assessment and what's his solution? And this is pretty important. When you think about the world around you, what did he find in his world? What was the response of the people? What was their enemy's response? And then finally, I want you to spend a little bit of time talking around your table... What needs to be rebuilt in our society? When you look around, what is the state of affairs, especially with the church? Think about the church. I can find all kinds of things to fix in the world. But the scriptures say judgment begins where? In the house of the Lord. It begins here we got enough problems to fix in our own backyard before we start going out trying to fix the world. So think about what we, what's the state of the church in America today? And what do you think needs to be done? So spend some time doing this and then we're going to pick it back up. Nehemiah chapter 2. Okay. We're going to come back back to this at your small group, but let's let's take a look at this. Look at chapter three with me, real quickly. You saw in chapter two this this list of individuals. Well, actually, that's chapter three. Chapter two is basically what he finds, which is a pretty negative situation. Things are not good in Jerusalem. What what a trip that must have been to walk around and. He's volunteered for this job. Now he gets to see just how bad it really is. And he's walking around from place to place to place. And everywhere he goes, the walls are disheveled, broken down. Things are not good. And this is now his job. But he's there. He's committed. He's going to make a difference. In chapter 3, we, we see what are basically, it's like the credits at the end of the movie. It's, it's all the people who are going to be involved in this process and who are involved. And it's, it's a pretty lengthy list. We're not going to read through it, but he goes through from the high priest to all these obscure individuals who we know nothing about other than the fact that it says, and they rebuilt, and they built, and he built here, and he built there. and It's, it's just individuals who stepped up and got in the game and began to do their job. The, the job that God had called all of them to do, which is to rebuild the walls of the city. So it, it's like the credits. These are the people, the behind-the-scenes people. And these are the ones who did the work. You know, it, it's, if, if we were to make a list of all the people who served in, during the, the campaign we just finished here at the church, who went and worked at Como Cemetery and who, who gave food in the food drive and who behind-the-scenes made all the stuff happen, that's the kind of names we would see. This list of people, not Ted... You know, not Doug Cecil, not me, not... It's the people behind the scenes who made it really work, who did the work. That's what this list is. They're the the behind-the-scenes contributors. Because the truth is, not everybody can be Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah would have been totally unsuccessful without these people. He'd have been walking around, looking at the walls every single day, still disheveled, still broken down, If these people had not gotten up every morning, strapped on their sandals, and gotten to work. And that's what the kingdom of God is all about. It's you doing the work behind the scenes and contributing to what God's called us to do. And every single one of these people had a significant role to play. Just look at this real quickly. If you, if you read through this, you're going to see a phrase. At least in, in the NASB, it, it, it's rendered "next to him, after him." There's, there's this repetition of phrases. Whenever you're studying the scriptures, look for repetitions. Look for words or phrases that repeat themselves over and over again. There's a reason. And in this one, you're going to see "next to him, next to him, next to him, next to him, next to them." And it's this list of people. And what it's, it's like a picture of. Here's Joe Blow out in front of his place, and he's, he's building. And then next to him is Jim. And Jim's doing his job. And then next to him is the next guy. Next to him is the next guy. And what you see is all along the wall are people doing their job. It's not one group of men, okay, we're going to build this section, then we're going to move to this, this section. See, that's how the church operates today. We find a, a, a few people who are willing to volunteer, and then we wear the bejeebers out of them. I mean, you know, what, what's the, you know, the old phrase that if you want to get something done, find a busy person? That's what we do in the church. We go back to the same volunteers over and over again and say, Hey, you done there? Okay, we got another job for you. And they're the kind of people that go, Oh, yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah, just give me some coffee, you know. And they, they go to work. That is not the picture. This was not a team of professionals walking around the wall rebuilding. This was everyday people rebuilding the wall right in front of their house. Doing what they could do where they lived. But see, it was a collective effort. And I think that's what we've missed in the church today, that this is a collective effort. This is, not, this is not a place for you and I to come and get fed. You know, And I'm all about feeding. That's the reason I'm up here. But if that's all we do, we've missed the point. This is the body of Christ, and we are in a collective effort to change the world. Otherwise, he would have taken us when he saved us. But he left us here to be salt, to be light, to be difference makers. It's a collective effort. It it says over and over again, next to them, next to him, after him. You see this progression in this line of people. And the other repetitive phrase you see is, in front of his house. You know, whatever their names, you know, Rephia, Jediah, these people walk outside their their house and they built right up against the wall. And you walk out of your house and you see, hmm, the wall's down. I'm not going to go over there and build. I'm going to build right here. I'm going to build the section of the wall that's outside of my house. And then the guy next door, his next door neighbor walks outside and sees his walls broken down. He starts building where he lives. And you see that phrase over and over, in front of his house, in front of his own quarters. See, one of the things that jumped out at me is that I love to go fix everybody else's problems. But you know what I need to do is get the moat out of my own eye, fix my own house, make make sure things are going well in my own spiritual life before I start rebuilding somewhere else. I'm all all for us going on mission trips, guys, and I want us to do that. I I want us to go serve in Como. I want us to go do all these things. But one of the things that's important to me is don't go serve in Como if you won't even serve in your own home. Don't go mentor somebody else's kid when you won't mentor your own. Don't go share the gospel in Africa if you're unwilling to share it with your next-door neighbor. Rebuild the wall outside your own home. But if we all did that, The picture is one of which, hey, amazingly, the wall gets rebuilt. Things start to happen. But here's the warning that's in this passage. As soon as you and I get in the game, start to do what God's called us to do, start serving Him and working for Him and doing the good deeds He's laid out from before the foundation of the world, here's the guarantee from Scripture. You will run into trouble. And you will be mocked. You'll run into opposition. Nehemiah did in chapter 4. Because rebuilders will always have opposition and enemies. You know, the world does not want you to get in the game. The enemy does not want you to get in the game. He wants you distracted. He wants you self-focused. He wants you doing anything but doing what God's called you to do. Rebuilders will always face opposition. Sometimes it comes from your own family. You ever tried to lead your kids in worship? Man, if you haven't, give it a shot. If your kids are like mine, you're going Dad, come on. Not tonight. Do we have to read the Bible? Well, yeah, I was thinking about it. Do we have to sing? Come on, Dad. You know, that's opposition. And we have to weather the storm. But Nehemiah faced some severe opposition from the enemy. And rebuilders will be seen as a threat. That's why the enemy fights us. See, as long as you're not in the game, you're no threat to the enemy. As long as you don't pray, the enemy could care less about you. But when you start to serve and do the work of God, and you start to pray, and you start to believe, and you start to step out in faith, guess what? The enemy puts his target on you. And he says, that guy's going down. And that's why it's interesting. When, when many of us start to grow in the Word, what's the first thing we discover? All hell breaks loose. Things start to break around the house. I get in a fight with my wife. My kids start to give me trouble. Things Work doesn't go well. Things start, and we go, what is up with that? I think a lot of times it's the enemy who so wants to defeat you, get you off track, and get you off focus, and get you defeated. That's exactly what happens in this chapter, chapter 4. They start threatening them. And here's their methodology, and it's, it's laid out in chapter 4. The enemy reacts with anger. He gets really frustrated. And I am convinced, and it almost makes me happy to think that I could make Satan angry. That I am that significant enough that he would even bother with me. But that he would get angry and he'd want to attack me because I don't want that guy doing that. I don't want him growing, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Gosh, he makes me mad. And that's exactly what you see happen. Look at verse 1. It says... He became furious and very angry, speaking of the enemies of Nehemiah. And it lists two. Two different guys who are really angry. They become furious and angry. Then they start to respond with ridicule. And I, and I love what they say. They start mocking the Jews in verse 1. They start, you know, you, you guys don't know what you're doing. You guys can't do anything. What do you think in rebuilding the walls? And then they start portraying their efforts as meaningless. What well, you know, you're wasting your time here. You're not going to make a difference. You know, when there was a group of us that went and uh, redid, uh, worked on the, the Como Cemetery, and you can tell the guys who worked at the Como Cemetery because we were all covered in poison ivy or poison oak, and you know, it was our badge of honor, I guess. But it was easy to sit out there, and th- when we got there, this place was in Unbelievably bad shape. You couldn't even see the tombstones. It was covered in weeds, and we cut all that down, and then we cut down trees, and we but you know what went went through my mind the whole time I'm working on it? It's not going to stay like this. We're going to put all this effort and energy into this, and in a month it's going to be covered up in weeds again because nobody cares. Where do you think that came from? It's the enemy. Because you're trying to make a difference, you're trying to contribute, and the enemy starts to mock. And what did the enemy say to them? What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? See, the enemy will start throwing in front of you and I, this is impossible and you're not up for the task. Don't even bother. Give up. Give up. That's what the enemy does. He gets angry, then he starts to ridicule, then he starts to get us to think that it's meaningless, you're wasting your time, and then he discounts your efforts as feeble. Look what he says in verse 3. Even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. These guys are so, they're so bad at what they're doing that all their efforts, a fox would knock it down, let alone the enemy. And I just hear, I hear resonating from this all the stuff that goes through my mind when I'm trying to do something for the kingdom, when I'm trying to do something significant, whether it's trying to share the gospel with somebody who's lost, whether it's trying to lead my kids in worship, whether it's trying to serve in some capacity, the enemy steps alongside and says, you know, what you're doing is meaningless and it's not going to last. He mocks us. And then he tries to distract us by getting us to, into a fight. And we get so frustrated and we get so angry that we lash out. And it says in verse 8, All of them, the enemies, conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. You know, I'm convinced one of the ways that the enemy attacks the church of Jesus Christ today is from within. And if he can get us to fight within, he'll destroy us. Or if he can get us so distracted with fighting the enemy out there that we lose sight of what we're really called to do. And we start fighting with him and we stop accomplishing the good deeds we've been called to do. We're not serving, we're fighting. We're frustrated with the enemy. We're arguing with the enemy. We're debating with the enemy. And meanwhile, people are suffering and there's needs going unmet. He, he gets us, he draws us into a fight. But what did the people need to do? They needed to build. That was what they were called to do. So here's a question for you. When you try to accomplish something for God, do you ever hear Sambalot? You, you probably don't know anybody named Sambalot, but they're out there. Or Tobiah whispering in your ear. Do you ever hear that? Man, I do. I think these two guys live in my home sometimes. Or in my head. Because here's, here's what they say. You're too feeble and insignificant. Who do you think you are? You're, you're, you can't do anything. You're not going to accomplish anything you're nobody in the kingdom of God. You don't have enough gifts. You're not talented enough. You don't... we are wasting your time. Do you really think you can accomplish anything important? And I guarantee you, every man in this room has heard that at some point in time when it comes to the things of the kingdom. You're just not important enough. You're just not significant enough. You will never accomplish anything. And we have got to reject that if we're going to get into the game. I love Nehemiah's response. How did he handle all this? Here's the enemy. Here's the walls, all disheveled. Here's the enemy, ridiculing, lashing out, mocking. How does he respond? Not like I would. What's he do? He prays. He prays. I love this. Verses 4 and 5 say, Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Now this is how I would pray if I did pray. Listen to this carefully. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let their sin be blotted out before you for they have demoralized the builders. Now that's how I would pray if I did. You know, I'd add in wipe them off the face of the earth. smote them. I'm not even sure what smote means. I just love the sound of that word. Just smote them. Um, do something to them. But at least he turns to God. He doesn't take matters into his own hands. See, first of all, I would take matters into my own hands because that's the way I'm wired. You're going to lash out at me? Okay, here we go. You may be bigger, but somebody's going to go down. And it may be me, but you'll be bloody too. That's not what he does. He goes to God and he tells God, I am so frustrated with these guys. Here's what I'd like you to do. But in the meantime, I'm going to get back to work. He prays. He prays. And then they prepared. And this is really important to me. It says, we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. See, this, is, this goes against the whole idea of just let go and let God. You know, sometimes we get that confused and we think it just means total inactivity. He prayed, but what did he do? He sets up guards. I'm going to pray, but I'm also going to be prepared. In case they attack, in case they come in, in case they try to scale the walls before they're rebuilt. They prepare. They're not just going to sit back and pray and just, Okay, God, it's up to you now. I'll be in my house. You work all this out. No, they prepare. It says, I stationed men, Nehemiah says, in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places. I stationed people and families with their swords, spears, and bows. They prayed and they prepared. See, you and I need to pray but be prepared. We need to be in the Word. We need to be growing. We need to be spiritually ready for whatever the enemy throws our way. Well, third, they proceeded. This is important. It says, so we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Enemies out there, enemies ridiculing, enemies angry, enemies lashing out, but they prayed, they prepared, and they proceeded. They kept on building. See, we give up too easy. As soon as it gets tough, we give up. As soon as we don't get the results we think we ought to get, or the recognition, we give up. But they just kept working. They built the wall, and they had a mind to work. Man, does the church need that today? A mind to work. To just get in there and work. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you think you have the skills or not, you get in and you work. And then it says those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens took their load with one hand, doing the work, and the other holding a weapon. Isn't that a great image? I'm, I'm carrying bricks in one hand, I got my sword in the other. I'm working, but I'm ready. You want to take me on? I'm ready. I'm praying, I'm working, and I'm ready to fight. It says, as for the builders, each wore a sword girded at his side as he built while the trumpeter stood near me. Nehemiah had a trumpeter with him at all times. Why? To sound the warning that here comes the enemy. They were always ready. See, we are, and I say we, I'm in this camp too, we are a lethargic, unprepared people often. And we're not ready when the enemy attacks. And we're kind of half asleep. And we're not really working. We're not building the wall. And we're not really carrying bricks. And we don't have our sword in our hand. And so the enemy has a field day in the church today. They were ready. They proceeded. And then they changed their perception. This is the the most important of all. They changed their perception. Nehemiah says, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. See, at the end of the day, guys, that's why you're called into action. Not so you can get recognition. But so you can make a difference. And so you can protect your wives, your sons, your daughters, your families. The families in this church. And verse 20 says, Our God will fight for us. See, their perception changed. Instead of looking at the walls torn down, instead of looking at their enemies, they started focusing on their God who is awesome and mighty and able to accomplish great things. So as we wrap this up and we we finish the whole idea of getting in the game and making a significant contribution in the world today, keep your focus on God. Because see, if God, Ephesians 2.10, has called you and equipped you from before the foundation of the world and He has a job for you to do, you're going to need His power to accomplish it. And he's ready for that. He was ready for them. He wants to make a difference in my life and your life. Well, What's the conclusion? Let's go back to what we looked at and heard in the video. I'm going to read this to you one more time. When you look at the world, do you despair or do you see a world that has never needed Christ more than it does right now? And therefore has never needed you more. Do you see this as an opportunity to make a difference? Like Nehemiah, you are uniquely created to do something that no one else can do. But of all, all the ability in the world, all the talent means nothing if you're sitting on the sidelines. And many of you guys are far more gifted than me. But you're not in the game. It won't make a difference until you get in the game. See, Nehemiah saw a problem... He also saw God's power to solve it. He saw a problem, and it's all around us. But he also saw God's power to solve it. He also saw his role in making it happen. Do you see your role yet? Do you see that you can make a difference? Whatever God has for you to do, whatever portion of the wall you need to be working on, start doing it. It's right outside your door. And if you don't do it, Nobody will. Arise and build, and God will give us success. And to close this morning, I asked David to come up, and we're going to sing, Holy, Holy, Holy. Because what did they do in that chapter you just looked at? They worshipped God. They confessed their sins, and they worshipped God. So to in this morning, and in the series, I want to put the focus back on Him, because without Him, we can't do any of this. But he's called us, he's equipped us, and let's worship him and then go out and let's build. So stand with us. We're going to sing this a cappella.
2: Holy, holy. shall rise to Thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 saints adore thee casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee which word and heart evermore shall be. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy, then none beside thee, perfect in power, in love and purity. Holy, 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 all God almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name earth and sky and sea, holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity.
0: Would you guys reach out and grab a uh, Guy's hand by you? I know that's uncomfortable, but get over it. let's close in prayer father we uh, come before you because you are holy and you are awesome and you are mighty and i'm amazed that you called me Uh, i'm amazed that you want me to do anything in your kingdom and yet father i can't escape the fact that that's exactly what you've done and you've done that for every man in this room we have been called by a holy god to make a difference in the world Father, I I pray this morning that you would help us to see the world through your eyes. That it is a world that is in desperate need of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would show us that we've got a job to do and it's right outside our door. We are uniquely positioned to accomplish your work for this time. And we're equipped to do it and we've got the Holy Spirit to empower us. Help us to arise and rebuild because it's it's desperately needed, Father. And I just thank you for these men. I pray your blessings on them. I pray that you would use them, that you would empower them. And I especially pray, Father, if there is any man in this room who does not know Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, who isn't sure, and if he died today, doesn't know for a fact that he would spend eternity with you, I pray he would not leave this room before he got that worked out. That he would come to me, that he'd come to one of the other men in this room, and that he could walk out knowing that he's saved. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for what you do to bless us each and every day. And whatever we face today, the attacks of the enemy, the ridicule, the mockery, may we reject that and walk about with a brick in one hand and a sword in the other, doing your work to rebuild the kingdom. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Guys, we'll see you next week. There's no homework.